Hey y'all, this is Diacritical Kansas City, a podcast where we talk about music and the way we live in it. DKC is an online journal. It's focused on the same thing, and you're probably on the site right now, so thank you so much. Tell your friends, your sisters, your mamas, and your cousins, too. Check us out at diacritical.com. Follow us on social media, and don't forget to send your listener letters to diacritical at gmail.com. That's D-I-A-K-C-R-I-T-I-C-A-L at gmail.com. Let's start the show. Let's jam. Hey everyone, we have a great episode on the books today. Uh, we'll be diving into one of my favorite genres of television, which is anime. Anime is also relatively new to me. I don't think I got started with it until like 2014. But um, one of the things that I really enjoy about each one that I have watched is the music. And so I am thrilled to have with me in the studio today our first ever guest. I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming musicologist, performer, and a dear friend of mine, Michelle Jerkowitz. Welcome! Hello, thank you. How's it going? It's going great. You a long day of work today. Yeah, it's been a long day, but there's nothing a little coffee and talking about music cancel. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's going to wake you right up. Right. Yeah. Um, so... Just a little, I guess, you can start like a little bit about yourself, kind of, you know, how um, you got interested in musicology and then how that kind of like led you to studying music and anime. Yeah, so I actually started out as a flute performance major at UMKC and I took a couple of music history classes and really fell in love with what the teachers were saying and then I decided to take pedagogy class to kind of see what musicology was like, and I fell in love with that class, and so I decided to add musicology, and one of the first papers that I wrote while in, at UMKC was about the music of Moonrise Kingdom and how it uses so much Benjamin Britten. Yeah. And um, I loved writing about it, I loved talking about film music, and my advisor, Dr. Grenade, also writes a lot about film music, and so that was kind of what I wanted to focus on during my studies as a musicology major. But I also was really interested in Asian music because I I don't think it's well represented in music history surveys. Certainly. Um, there really aren't any classes that focus on East Asian music. I think we offer, or UMKC offers a class, but it's only offered every once in a while certainly not in the five years that I was there. Um, but I wanted to kind of see what the differences were in, in Asian composers either writing in a Western classical sense or trying to create a juxtaposition of Western and Eastern. But I really wanted to write about film music and um, I was going to write about a, uh, a white animator that one of my bosses had told me about that we had at Special Collections, and I realized that that's not really what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about, you know, anime and the Ghibli films. Then I realized that there's no way I could pick 
one Ghibli film. Right. Um, and so I decided to look at TV shows because that's what I've been growing up with since I was a kid. I've watched them probably since I was five or six. And I mean, part of my schoolwork was just to sit on my couch and yeah. watch TV, which is kind of great. Yeah, you can kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, and so um, it's so underrepresented. I mean, you kind of represent, yeah, it's underrepresented. You touched on that a little bit. Uh, in musicology, people don't really talk about it at all. Um, I've really never seen anything written about it at any conferences. It's I mean, it's. I feel like sometimes I I don't hear many people talk about it at all, but no. it, it, it's kind of, um, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like a thing that people watch or engage with a lot, but it is. Right. Um, and in, and I think probably one of my favorite things about it, and I, I don't know, it's kind of like what you know, kind of what you were talking about with Moonrise Kingdom. I, I see the same things. There, there was always this kind of folksy air yeah. about Moonrise Kingdom, but uh, with but storytelling happening all the time and people physically telling stories on screen, which mm -hmm. has always had. There's always like some legend to tell. One of my favorite things about anime is if you don't understand it, watch the first episode and the main character will literally just sit in front of the screen and tell you everything that you need to know in like, yeah. in like two seconds. I know. Well, and kind of going along with why you don't think people are talking about this or people are watching it, it's because there's still such this stigma against it. Mm -hmm. right? I remember a conversation I had with a friend the other day. They were just talking about something random and then all of a sudden they just said, oh, you know, it's something like those weird people that watch anime would do. And oh, it's, it's just still yeah. one of those weird things where, oh, you're a weirdo, you must watch anime. Or, oh, you watch anime, you're a weirdo. Right. And um, it's really hard getting past that stigma. I remember telling a lot of people what my thesis topic was. Right. And getting backlash from, not like hateful backlash, but right. just kind of that side eye. Yeah, well, it's... doing. It's almost like infantilizing it yeah. uh, in a way, kind of the same way with comic books where I feel like most people don't, like every Batman film that's been made has been somehow based off of another fucking like Frank Miller Batman <laughs> comic. Like yeah. it's just aggressive and gruesome and gory and stuff. And so the comic books that are accepted into the mainstream are the ones that are particularly violent. Right. And I kind of see the same thing with anime. Like, oh, you've never tried anime. You should like go and look up like Tokyo Ghoul. It's a super, super violent, right. you know, uh, anime. You'd love it. You and there's know? a correlation between, you know, the Marvel comics going to the Marvel films and every, or even DC comics translating to the screen. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with manga. Yeah. It's translating to the screen, but they're translating it verbatim. It's just that Western film studios decide not to use animation. Right. And Japanese people, from my understanding, want to preserve the animation style, want to preserve the drawings that the authors have been mm -hmm. tirelessly working over and honestly I, I think you lose some aspects of the story 
by translating it to live action. Yeah. I mean, you know, the uh, Ghost in the Shell live adaptation, uh, the Dragon Ball no. Z. Uh, oh, the Dragon Ball Z one, no! Howie Bebop when that's supposed to come out in the uh, near future, the Death yeah. Note one, which Netflix We don't have to talk about the Death Note. It's awful. pretty awful. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Don't watch it. It's like, hey, yeah, please don't. Zero out of ten recommend. It is. <laughs> it's... it's Oh my god, it's like, let's remove the most basic tenet of this whole character's, right. like, drive, yeah. and that we'll get to Death Note. Yeah. But, yeah, and I think also one of my favorite things about, I think the correlation between music and the anime that I love the most is, um, I, sci-fi is one of my favorite genres, yeah. and horror is one of my favorite genres, and what the difference between, I think the, sorry, the relationship between anime and those two things is that you have to imagine something that doesn't exist in our physical world or may not exist in the physical world. And that opens up music right. a lot to a, a ton of possibilities mm -hmm. in terms of what you can use to set a specific thing and why. And it kind of cuts across genres in a way where I think a lot of staged musical things feel like they have to be, unless you're Barrio, have to be like, <laughs> you know, like a thread from line A to line B. And I mean, at least the canonical stuff that we can't get enough of um, is a lot like that too. But what I really enjoy about anime is how um, important the score can play, but also kind of like the hodgepodges that pop up. Right. Like Hunter, uh, is it Hunter X Hunter? I yeah, never, that's yeah. right. X, say yeah. the X. <laughs> Say the X. <laughs> I told y'all I was like relatively new, but that that is like flamenco in it, and also just like straight up like Janissary. I don't even want to use Janissary, but Turkish uh, kind of timpani and marches and stuff going on there too. Fully fleshed out orchestral scores and everything, but it all can happen within the scope of like a single episode. Right. And um, one of the really interesting kind of anime as well, the one, we were talking about ones that translate, you know, in, from manga really successfully into uh, animation was Death Note. Right. Um, and that's what you actually, you did a lot of work on Death Note. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I guess, can you, like, what were some of the things about Death Note that, uh, that kind of, like, sparked your, your interest? So, Death Note was one of those series on Netflix that kept popping up to me, mm -hmm. but the premise of it sounded so absurd that I right? couldn't I couldn't even persuade myself to sit down and watch it. Yes, and by the way, y'all, the premise of, of Death Note, for those of you who um, aren't, quote, weirdos, <laughs> um, Death Note is about this teenager, high school teenager yep. named Light Yagami, and one day he's walking around, he's like sitting in class one day, and a notebook falls out of the sky with just Death Note written on it. Light picks it up and realizes it's just blank, but it has all of these rules written in it that he can't believe. And one of them says, the person whose name is written in this Death Note shall die, or something like yeah. that, within, you know. So throughout the course of him, of him, being around this notebook and using it, he develops this total god complex mm -hmm. and um, begins to, no, literally think of himself as god because he has the power to kill whomever he wants. And the rest of the series becomes like this dancing game between him and a detective and the way it kind of unfolds and how many times he almost gets yeah. caught is, it's fascinating. And I think 
probably one of the best ways that it translates because the manga is just like pages and pages of dialogue yeah. with like one, you know, um, usually like one or two images. Mm -hmm. But in the animation, it translates so well because you can see these things happening in tandem with his thoughts right. and everything. So that's a little, little synopsis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, yeah, the... The plot that Anthony just described just sounded so absurd to me, and you know how Netflix likes to condense everything into, you know, 15 words or less of what mm -hmm. the plot actually is. But when I was thinking about what shows I wanted to watch for my thesis, that was one of the shows that consistently popped up on all of these fan forums, and one of the shows that had one of the best soundtracks out there, and so mm -hmm. I started watching it. And during the first, I don't know, minute of the show, I'm sitting there thinking, why is the Kyrie playing right now? This is, I don't want to listen to Latin Catholic music. Right. I, I want to watch the show. It's mass music. Right. And then by the end of the episode, I'm, I'm torn by the idea of, well, this guy is, this teenager is essentially killing people. They're criminals. But do I want him to succeed or do I not want him to succeed? Right. And that's one of the major issues with this show is, you know, they use the Kyrie, uh, they use a lot of Western Catholic mass music. They incorporate it a lot into the show, bell chimes, chanting, um, and they also kind of adapt it into newly composed music written especially for the show. But you as the audience member or I guess the viewer you have to decide if what he's doing is valid right because you can kind of relate it to I don't know Dexter that's yeah pretty popular pretty anti-hero you know yeah. somehow we all can condone murder if we believe it's justified right and I always thought that it was so interesting having regular mass music um and specifically when DS era right. uh, will pop up in this um, it's really like as he's making these decisions to kill people and as the show goes on it becomes more confusing yeah. whereas at first I was like yeah like you know kill that serial killer which in and of itself is a terrifying thought Yeah. throughout all of this is this holy music playing and you can empathize with holy music you can either hear it as an absurd uh assertion by this teenager that he is in fact God, right? So in that sense, like listening to it and watching him do this sounds like just pure ego to me. Yeah. And the other times that I listen to it, it sounds like if you empathize with light in any way, you know, this is your, this is your music. You, he's painted as this Christ figure. And right. of course this would be the music mm -hmm. um, for this person. So it's, it's really nasty. And yeah, I, I've watched the show maybe four or five times now. And Same. I go back and forth with thinking that Light's this glorified asshole versus, well, he's just he's just trying to make the world a better place. Like, I don't blame him. But then thinking about, because Death Note, I think, ended in 2007. Mm -hmm. the, uh, Peak automated, emo time. Right. You know, and, we had two Fall Out Boy albums by that <laughs> time. And, and, you know, since then, there are still reports of kids getting a hold of death notes that you can buy on Amazon. I have my own death note because I'm a 
Uh, yeah, I'm wearing a Breath of the Wild hoodie That's right fine. now. That's fine, we talk about that. But, <laughs> or they'll make their own, you know, kind of like the Mean Girls Burn book, where right. they'll get a notebook, slap the words Death Note on it, and then write names. Damn. And there are news reports all over the country of... That's so wild. Right, and police officers are like, oh, they're just watching this cartoon show, but we have to take it seriously. But if you watch the content and you understand the plot and what they're discussing. It's not a cartoon. I, if I ever no. have children, I would never let my seven-year-old kid watch that. No, absolutely not. There are some out there, and that's, I think that's, again, like the um, kind of the stigma associated with it, right. too. It's infantilizing this whole genre that's, you know, fully fleshed out. They chose it. Um, Eastern culture and Japanese culture chose a different medium other than live-action film to yeah. convey very complex stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, Death Note really works for me. I loved the, as the series went on, like that very, the opening intro, like there are a few intros to animes that get stuck in my head. Blue Exorcist gets stuck in my head. Yu Yu Hakusho's gets mm -hmm. stuck in my head. But the Death Note went from like pretty normal to just metal. Yeah, yeah. and that's the interesting thing too, is most shows don't change their opening title and opening ending. Yeah. And Death Note did that. I'm not going to say anything spoilers about the show, but it changes midway through the series to help you change either your perception or keep your current one. Yeah. And it helps you kind of get into Light's mental state at that point. And that was one of the more striking things that I wrote about in my thesis was shows don't do that. Yeah. I mean, maybe some American shows might change, but you think about One Tree Hill, you're always going to think about that Gavin DeGraw song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think about One Tree Hill all the time. Yeah, <laughs> My sisters are probably watching this right now. I'm like, yeah! yeah. But no, I, it's Dawson for me. It's the I don't want to wait. Right, yeah. But even then, they have that up on, there. they had it on Netflix, and they changed it to some awful, some other song. I don't know if it's by the same, it's not. Yeah. I don't want to wait, or whatever that song is called. Um... But yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick little intermission and we'll get back to talk about some real bangers of anime. So um, we'll see you in a few seconds. Bye-bye. Michelle Jerkowitz and talking about music and anime. Uh, two of the shows that jumped out to me in particular, always this question I get asked all the time is like, actually none of the time, nobody ever asks me what anime <laughs> they should start with because no, everyone's like, anime. <laughs> but if I were to give somebody like advice on which ones to start out with, then I, I guess for me, I remember starting off on like Fate Zero mm -hmm. and Full Metal Alchemist seems to be uh, one. Death Note, which we've already talked about. Um, are there any that jump out to you? Um, so yeah. I would start off with Cowboy Bebop. Um, 
it's easily the most accessible one. It's one that I started out when I was little and watched it, when I wasn't supposed to be watching TV super late. But it's so easily accessible because it, if people are familiar with Firefly, yeah. um, the show that people still talk about and wish that it would come back, or you look at Star Trek or Star Wars or any of those science fiction shows, you're going to like Cowboy Bebop. Even yeah. if you've never thought about watching anime or you think that the premise of it is weird, you're going to like it because it's a science fiction western based in 2071, which is not all that far away, so I'm hoping nope. Spike will be available, and I will talk yeah, to him, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no. But I'll be kind of old, but whatever. Come find me, Faye. But, um, I mean, it's, so Spike is the main character, and he's this bounty hunter aboard this ship called Bebop, and he's, again, trying to find bounties to pay for his meals because he's always so broke and he's usually hungry and his friend is named Jet and along the way they find a corgi named Ayn, they find a gambling uh, vixen I'll call her that's what they, <laughs> they sexualize her, her name's Faye, a lot. who doesn't really know anything about her past and then they find this whiz kid called Edward who's this excellent hacker. But throughout the series they travel to different planets, they travel to different universes, and the storylines are non-sequential. There yeah. There's really only two major plot points. I really liked that about it, yeah. is the the way the plot would like come back, and um, or it would present itself kind of in hints over time, mm -hmm. like Faye, and yeah. the fact that she can't remember anything, right. um, or, you know, her gambling addiction, yeah. and... Um, and there was always that threat about, you know, despite there were questions, I guess, that would get asked. But you're, I mean, the adult uh, anime aspect of it, um, the way they kind of set it up as non, you know, like sectioned off. I can't remember. It was a very good word you used. What was that awesome word? It's like non-sequential or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It was good. Good talking, Lair. <laughs> Um, but yeah. it, it's also accessible because we have a wide range of music. Oh my we god, have, yes. I mean, we obviously have bebop, we have reggae, we have ska, we have... There's that Tchaikovsky reference. Yes, we do um, have... We have Western art music reminiscent of Schubert art songs. Yeah. Um, we have African-American inspired... There's a whole episode misappropriated to African-American culture. Yeah. It's called like mushroom hunting or something. Oh, it deals yeah. with them finding mushrooms, quote unquote, if you know what I'm saying. But, uh... I, I don't, what, what is that? Um, you talking about portobellos? But there are also, there's also an episode about using heavy metal music. And so mm. there's just this wide range. And when Netflix announced their... Their idea to reinvent the show as a live action, GQ yeah, came out with this good. article saying, what is Cowboy Bebop? And... Oh. Right. Well, and not in a negative way. It's just, what is Cowboy Bebop? Like, why... That's so strange to me because it's been out for so long. Right. But you have to understand is most people don't watch that. Yeah, when you go on Netflix, true. what are you going to watch? Nine times out of ten, first off, you're going to watch The Office. The other tenth of a time you're going to watch whatever Netflix is promoting to you 
for yeah. the one hundredth time. That's true. So you're I mean, I've been rewatching Gilmore Girls for the past two weeks, watching almost the exact same episodes. I, yeah. But people aren't gonna go out of their way to watch Cowboy Bebop. Right. But I think they should and I think GQ is they were trying to illuminate, well, why is Netflix doing that? Because right. a lot of people were questioning, well, why is Netflix doing the show? There's been more it's of weird. an interest in quote like cult right. things. Yeah. You know, small subcultures are starting to in and of themselves get recognized by the mainstream. Yeah. You're like, oh, here's this thing that you've never heard of that has a massive following. Just that idea in and of itself is attractive, I think. And I think, I mean, Netflix finally acquired the rights to Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is available on They just Netflix. put that up, like, last week? Yeah, a few days ago. Um, and it's one of the most underrated, but so <laughs> hard to understand <laughs> shows, but it's so difficult to find. I was really only able to watch it. I grew up watching that show, too, but... I was only able to watch it because my brother bought the DVDs when you could still find them. Mm -hmm. But it's, I think Netflix is saying, like, this is one of the great classics in the canon. Yeah. So, yes, it sucks that Funimation can't have it. And, yes, it sucks that we have the exclusive rights. But this is one of those shows that you yeah. need to watch because it's a mecha show. Right. But it's not your typical, oh, here I am going to go fight some... Gundam, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not like Gundam and it's... It's not like Knights of Sidonia, or any, which Knights of Sidonia is basically a ripoff of Evangelion, is what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have, what's that, uh, Pacific Rim. You know, people were crazy when Pacific Rim came out. And I think they're realizing that Western audiences are wanting to get more into the mecha. And the mecha use, if I remember right, that show uses Bach in a really yes. interesting way. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's something like... Um, some characters death yes yeah so one of the pilots she's literally fighting to her death and she has five minutes to fight before her uh, robot unit Ava shuts down because it disconnected from power supply and then you just have this classical music playing over while she's killing and ripping apart these demonic figures right you know I mean you don't really know what to think just like as an artist, right? You know, said, but it's so. I feel like Bach really suits that as well. <laughs> suits oh, it. Boy. <laughs> it's very complicated and kind of almost mechanical in ways too. But I also like the idea of classical music not only serving a storyline with being sinister. Right. Um, that's to to be fair. Death Note does that. Yeah. Um, but and and. That's another thing that kind of set Cowboy Bebop off for me. So instead of classical music being used as a way to bring out villainy in a character, it's used in one of my favorite ways, which is the pastoral setting. Yeah. Um, and it's it's funny, like, the reason I got into Bebop, because I was actually doing a theater show, and somebody's like, oh, you do music? You should listen to Cowboy Bebop. Mm -hmm. Just You should listen to Cowboy Bebop. I didn't even know it was a show. So I go and I find the album that Yoko Kano did. The, the composer the, the composer that we have to thank is uh, Yoko Kano. Um, and the group that recorded the album is The Seatbelts. So I found that and I like fell in love with it. And then I went into the show. Um, but there, there's this amazing scene, this wonderful episode where you, you were talking earlier about Schubert kind of inspired art song, mm -hmm. which... Um, 
is used in a pastoral way, but also as a memory device throughout Faye's story, much in the same way that uh, Westworld beat the hell out of the Debussy reverie. That it was like in every episode, like oh. four times an episode. It was a really cool idea, but by like four or five episodes in, every time I heard, I was like, ah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> But no, I, I love how they use it uh, in that specifically with, with, with Faye. Um, there's a lot to talk about. And that director has, has done other projects like this, too. Yeah, so right after Bebop, he also did Samurai Shampoo, which I wrote a little bit about in my thesis. It was one of the shows I had to completely cut. But it's about, we're living in the Edo period in Japan, and it's about this, uh, samurai, this vagrant, and this girl who used to work at a tea shop who wants to find the samurai who smells of sunflowers, and she enlists their help. And so it's probably the period. least descriptive. Right. Like I, he smells like sunflowers. Right. Got it. You know what? How about two of us go with you? That's all we need. But it's set in the Edo period. But when you first start watching with any anime show, you first start watching it. The first thing that pops out to you is the title song. Yeah. You get the title song. You get some images that'll help illuminate what the show's about. But then immediately after that, when you watch the first episode of Samurai Champloo, is I think it's set in like 2000 and it's early 2000s or something and then mm -hmm. there's this kid like beatboxing and then the record scratches and then you're transported back to Edo and throughout the series they actually incorporate a lot of hip-hop and rap yeah there's one instance where they're trying to the three of them are trying to get past this thing and these guys come up holding these boxes which is really reminiscent of Grandmaster Flash yeah and they're beatboxing and it's extremely reminiscent of the message and kind of going back to that hip-hop rap tradition because hip-hop and rap actually has a pretty strong base in Japan which is kind of weird but they love it hey, there yeah you know um but so he did shampoo and then in 2012 he came out with a series called kids on the slope which is set I believe in the 50s or 60s and it's about these kids who are listening to jazz records and learning to play these jazz records. And oh wow! And each of the uh, episodes are named after a specific standard. So I think the first episode's called like Melanin or something. Okay. But the kids are playing jazz, and jazz in Japan has had kind of a sordid history, just because of World War II, mm -hmm. then the U.S. occupation. And now it's more of, is are Japanese people playing jazz authentic or not? And authenticity is just one of the biggest debates in classical music. Whose definition of authentic, right. too, especially mm -hmm. when you're talking about uh, Japan as being pretty much infiltrated and not colonized by the United States, but just taken over in yeah. a way. But if you listen to anything from the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack, I've played mm -hmm. that for people who have no idea what the series is. And they're like, what's that jazz standard? No, uh, I'm like, this is from a TV show. No. <laughs> and yeah. uh, my alma mater, my undergrad, they played Tank, the title theme song, at one of the jazz band concerts. Oh, awesome. And that's, that's the big debate is people think that, oh, well, she's a Japanese composer. She's going to write things that don't sound like Western jazz. 
but you throw that in front of anybody. Yep, it'll be. They're gonna be floored by she it. She is incredible, and I, she captures so many different styles. I think another one of my favorite ones is uh, just Egg and I. Yeah. Which is, it just starts. <laughs> yeah, it starts because the piccolo and. Um, it's kind of like you can call me Al. Well, it's kind of yeah. like that a little bit, but. Oh yeah, I love it. I just love the fact that the and then another huge part of it is the, like the blues influence. They have the whole track where it's just like so much harmonica yeah. in this. That whoever the hell they got to play the harmonica, I know. And that was <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah, I I've always really liked that about this director, um, and the. I respected about anime is the mashing up of styles yeah. and stuff like that. The fact that you can use multiple different kinds of music to tell one narrative. Right. That's, I mean, it's incredible. It's just using the whole of what we have available to us mm -hmm. and not pigeonholing a score into one uh, area, Hans Zimmer. Um, mm -hmm. That, you know, I mean, just because you can <laughs> horns, right. like yeah. 50 horns. And six bass trombones, yeah. and play the lowest note you possibly can. I mean, every movie trailer that I see coming out of you know of, of the West is just like, either you know, guy says something, right? <laughs> guy says something else, yeah. Or you know, just like ugly low child. And I love that in in a sense, but I've I've seen music be used more versatilely. Yeah. Um and I think that's what Watanabe, the director of Cowboy Bebop, was trying to do. If you when you watch the title credits, there's a lot of a lot of words that are spliced throughout and you're not really sure what they say. But he's creating a juxtaposition between Bebop artists going around Harlem, going from gig to gig, and then he's correlating it to these quote-unquote bebop bounty hunters right. in 2071 and saying that they need to create a new genre just like the bebop artists in the past did, which is what animators need to do now. And with shampoo, shampoo means the mixing of certain things. And so we have this mixture of Japanese samurai during the Edo period and then we have hip-hop and rap. Yeah, and a lot of traditional instruments and stuff, too, yeah. making up the score in Champloo. Um, I'm butchering all these things. <laughs> I, I, I know, like, every time I drop one, it's like, ugh. It's okay. But, um, so, this is obvious. We've talked about this being an underrepresented part of musicology in general. Do you, where do you see this kind of going? Um, as uh, we talked about how it's kind of been bubbling recently as a whole genre. Uh, in terms of musicology, what kinds of conversations do you want to write about? What kinds of things would you would you like to bring out in, in this, or where would you see it like to go? Well, I think there just needs to be more conversations, conversations about it. Um, I went to a conference, I think it was last year, and I went to a session about video game music with these two video games I never heard of. And I was really fascinated by it because I've also been playing video games probably since I was out of the womb. Growing up with two brothers does that to you. Mm -hmm. But video game music, it, there's just something about it that, I mean, don't even get me started on any of the Final Fantasy soundtracks cause, or Kingdom Hearts because they're beautiful. Don't. We'll save that for another day. <laughs> she but, sees me like with the Breath of the uh, Wild thing like right now. But these two people spoke about video game music and during the question and answering, question and answer sessions, they got viscerated. I mean, really? These people were questioning what data they had and what research they had. 
and that's not their fault. There is no data. They're creating the data. Yeah. And so with my research, I mean, I, I have gotten a lot of backlash, not from any advisors or people who are close to me, but just concern of its relevance, which again, this is data that I'm compiling. Right. And really there's only one other person so far that has written a comprehensive thing. And she, Rose Bridges, PhD student at UT Austin wrote a, a book about cowboy bebop's music and I'm very fortunate that she was able to do that because I think the conversations are either going to stop or they're going to keep going right and I think it's I, I don't think it's going to happen until we can either persuade the old crowd or wait until the old crowd isn't there anymore and I mean I this is probably the same way that film music started people didn't see well why do we need to talk about john williams and star wars or right what what's the relevance of talking it's just about a movie that? right but if you if you compare it to wagner mm-hmm. then yeah there is relevance right and i've compared these things and so is rose bridges she's compared them to rock and roll artists to other musicians but there's just not there's not enough data right and so i think there there has to be more people willing to one, to hopefully watch these shows and hmm. to realize what anime musicologists are saying. There's really not a thing. People still want to talk about dead white men. It's fine. I don't have anything against I'm them, tired of like seeing... It seems like there's so much, so many articles that have just been rewritten. Right. That are, you know, oh, somebody hasn't written about this kind of thing. Like, like uh, oh, nobody's written about this Brahms transition since uh, 1890. I bet I should do, like, a revamp of it. And right. I'm, it's not relevant. Yeah. But with film music, if you, if you look at a lot of their studies, they have film music pedagogical resources, but they're also looking at it from a psychological perspective, mm-hmm. which is essentially what I did to a film genre medium. I used film books... I use, you know, resources about human anthropology, I guess I should say, and just human mannerisms, and I applied that to my research, and there's still this stigma because it's, well, it's a cartoon, because they're drawn. Right. But there's a difference between SpongeBob and Death Note, because SpongeBob doesn't go around killing people. Nope. With <laughs> he certainly doesn't. Drawn by a demon, you yeah. know? So... Which, uh, I will say this about the American version of Death Note, is Willem Dafoe made a great Ryuk. Yeah, I mean, if you want to sit through, like, an hour and a half of an insufferable teen romance, then go watch it. It's terrible. If you don't, then go on YouTube and just look up, like, Willem Dafoe Death Note. You should just do that. Yeah, you Um, should honestly just do that. It's terrible. And the reason it's terrible is because... It's in instead of it being like a god complex thing, it's just what is it like? It's just about a teen romance. It goes yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's just like he's just killing people to impress, right. you know, just to be like uber masculine and yeah. flex and um, and then gets in over his head, which is not the manga. First of all, like right. light in the manga is intelligent, and yeah. <laughs> this kid was not. And I don't think anybody from the Death Note series consulted on this film. Adam Wingard was the guy who directed Your Max, just like a thrash. And he did, yeah, he did it like a couple of things too, a couple yeah. of anthology, like, mm-hmm. yeah. But I with the know. live Cowboy Bebop, uh, Shinichiro Watanabe, the director, is supposed to be serving as a producer. Oh. So there's hope 
I mean, I have hope that Keanu Reeves plays Spike. I will be one. Oh my God! That. Yes. Um, but I know that they were doing casting, and it looks like they are casting for Asian Americans. Good. I I really want to try out for Faye or even Ayn. I thought I think that would be great. Yeah. I totally. Do <laughs> you want to be Ayn? Yeah. Why not just sit around, sleep, eat a couple chips? I don't know. But I mean, I did see the casting call, and they were looking for Asian Americans, and Keanu Reeves is an Asian American. But I think. That's great because with Death Note is they set it in Oregon. We have these Japanese myths of Shinigami, but we set it in a Western world, and that's there's so much appropriation behind yeah. that. To the point where a lot of those elements just didn't fit. Right. It really did feel like just something that had been taken out of where it should have been. Right. Um, if that sounds familiar in American history. Yeah. Um, but Anyway, um, thank you again so much. Yeah, thank you. To our first ever <laughs> guest on the show. Um, Michelle, it's been lovely to have you. Um, I'm sure we will be seeing more of you, and I hope that, um, you know, I'd like to, you know, see you have, have you write some stuff sometime. Yeah, I mean, I but, have a whole list of shows that I've kept in the mm-hmm. back of my brain that I can watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so until then, the Die Critical Podcast drops every week. It is written and hosted by yours truly, and all of our episodes are produced, and the music is composed by Megan A, a.k.a. Megan Conley. Check us out on the website, and please submit some listener letters to the show. We are dying to hear from you. You can submit a letter either through the form on our errata page or email us directly at diacritical at gmail.com. That's D-I-A-K-C-R-I-T-I-C-A-L at gmail.com. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bang. Let's wind it back. Maybe start with...